Is this good? Oh, my goodness. Okay. You asked for me to come up here. Do you ever have these moments where you think, what have I done? This is one. Um, Good morning, church family. Um, My name is Jay, and I'm one of the pastors here. And joining me up here this morning is JP. JP, do you want to introduce yourself to everyone? Hey, uh, JP Grabium. Um, Yeah, good. Okay. (laughs) Nailed that one. Good job. Um, I'm on a roll. We're going to want, yeah, we're going to want to share a little more than that, or this is going to be really boring. Um, So this morning we are talking about, um, in our series on making disciples, we're talking about um, measurement and just like, how do you even know that this stuff is working? And and, uh, you know, JP is one of those people that I've wanted to get up here to share some of his story. Um, he's got a lot in it. And so if you don't know JP, I would um, really encourage you to connect with him. You can't share all of it here. But, um, but one of the things that uh, JP has been known for is, uh, is after, well, you, you ended up um, helping out at the homeless shelter. And, um, and so I just was wondering, like, could you go back to... Um, let's kind of set the stage of what was going on in your life and um, any background you want to give as far as coming to Christ, but then, um, you know, where that idea first came into your mind and how God worked in that. Well, I would say, um, so I'm, I would say I'm pretty new to being saved. It's been four and a half, five years, and I got baptized up here, and, um, went through the, uh, with Kevin, the um, train, you know, to become a member. And I guess that would be the first time where I like ever met someone who just loved Jesus so much where they would just cry talking about him. And that really connected with me. And so we were super excited to get baptized up here, me and my wife. And um, that was the start of it. And then I would say, with your disciples who make disciples, that was another big, you know, connect, <clears throat> connection where we're like, all right, you know, we're all in and we just love Jesus and we want to spread his message to whoever we can. So, and you're talking about Kevin Johnson, one of our Kevin elders. Kevin Johnson, um, yeah. I love Kevin. Yeah, um, and you, so I, I believe that kind of, it was at a men's conference where some people started talking about a need that was there at the homeless shelter. Yeah, you're right about that. Thanks. And, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, well, let me remind you, there's a men's conference, this is what I remember of the story, so yeah. you tell me, like there's... So, anyways, um, stick to the script, JP. I, there was no script. I yeah, wish there clearly was. Not clearly, there's no script. Where's my I paperwork? Yeah. I don't think we have to convince anyone. There's no script. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we were at a men's conference in Milwaukee. Awesome conference, and we're coming home, and we're just talking about how we can help out. And I know the homeless shelter came up and um, somehow coming up with a program to, uh, to bring to the shelter. 
And so we're meeting every Wednesday, I believe. And this was going on for six months and nothing, nothing happened. Um, a lot of great ideas and, and stuff like that, but I was really kind of like depressed, like, because I really wanted to go do something. And then I walked past Robbie and he asked me what was going on. And I said, oh, I'm just a little sad. I can't figure nothing out. I want to do something with the homeless shelter, but I don't have a program. And then he held the Bible up and he says, well, this is a great program right here, you know. It's cheeky. I know. Yeah. So I, the next day, I think I went down to the homeless shelter with the Bible. And my plan was just to pray for people and to read, read the Bible. And the first person that I met was a young 17-year-old girl. And she um, was just very sad. And I didn't know what was going on, but I asked her if she wanted me to pray for her, and she said, absolutely. So we just prayed together, and I prayed for her. And she thanked me, and she was crying, and she, was, she walked away. What I found out afterwards is that actually she tried taking her life the night before, and um, they brought her down to Green Bay uh, to get help, but they were full, so they brought her back to the shelter. So that was going on there, and you know, I didn't, I didn't know that. I was just thought I was gonna go and pray for people. Um, but so then I'm like, all right, I'll go in the back and see if anybody needs or wants to read the Bible with me. So the first person that I met, um, he just just got out of jail that day. And he was uh, no home, no nothing, lost everything. And he's at the, sh the shelter for the first day. And I just asked him if he wanted to read the Bible with me or if I could read for him and pray for him. And he absolutely was on board and um, really was craving the word of God. And I ended up going back there four days a week <clears throat> four days a week for about three months, I believe, till he was in there the whole time, and we would we would read together, and um, I could just see his love for Christ, and I could see his growth. And what's awesome about him, and I'll get to the end, but so uh, Dave Ekstrom was working with him in the jail ministries the whole time up until he left. The first day that he got there is the first day that God sent me there to go read the Bible. So it's like, it's just really cool to see um, God work like that. Like he knew he was working on Daniel and he knew everything that had to happen and that he needed somebody there at the shelter with him. So fast forward, he got out and he got a job and um, his love for Christ kept on growing and he ended up going to a local church here and he called me because he was gonna get baptized and he wanted me to go be a part of that. And so I got to go, that was a great moment. Just brought, I brought my family and we got to, to watch and I hugged him afterwards and, um, and then a year down the line, his girlfriend called me up and wanted 
uh, to celebrate us two years of uh, sobriety and uh, being free of everything. And, and so, you know, I'm, he's a big part of my life still, and we still are really good friends. And uh, it's just, I never would have had that if, you know, everything just happened the way it did, you know? So, right? Amen to that. Um, so, so one thing you got to know about JP is when I said, hey, I'd love for you to share some of the things that God has done. And his response was, I don't even know what I would share. And um, it's one of the things that I love is just seeing God working. And, um, I, and so just to be clear, like, yeah, there was a desire from several guys in our church. And I, and I want to go on record as saying I'm one of the people that thinks like, okay, well, how do we, how do, we do this like with a plan? Like, how do we have a plan to go and, and kind of make sure that this goes well and that we can, um, you know, connect the right people? And so anybody that was in that crew of thinking like, well, yeah, we we're planning, um, like it, it, it's easy to kind of or like to think, okay, well, that's a negative thing. Like I'm, I'm in that crew. Like I'm thinking, man, how do we do this? Meanwhile, JP's like, well, I have the Bible and the Holy Spirit. Maybe I should just go show up. And I think like that is just such, uh, it's such an incredible reminder of how just being available and being faithful and obedient and going and trusting the Holy Spirit and trusting what God has already equipped you with to just go um, and be present. Now, let me ask you. So it started like on your day off. I know, I remember on the, on the day you, you said, well, I'm going, I'm just going to start going. And I was like, that's awesome. And then it started going like, you know, multiple days a week. Was it, was it always easy? Like, this is a great story about him. Like, and, and it's incredible. And I remember the day that you told me he's getting baptized and you were so excited and I was excited for you. And it was just a great moment. Um, and I think it can feel then like, okay, well, those, those are all the time, but like not every story is that way, right? Like, so what, um, what did you do like in those days where those things weren't happening when you would go? Were there days that you went and you were available and it just seemed like nothing was happening or that it was just discouraging things? When, so I, I've been there multiple different times after him, after, after he was out yeah. too. So when it was just me and him, it was, it was really good, you know, because he was just craving the word and everything that we read, we talked about, and we both got closer, actually, um, together. Now, they called me back and wanted to do a mandatory Bible study for the shelter. Like, where if they stayed there, they had to go to this yeah. Bible study. And that made me really nervous. And then I actually dropped a a letter off here ask, asking for prayers and Kevin um, Johnson came and, and helped me with that study um, and yeah not every day was a great day and not every day I had people and some days we just decided like I think the last day I went there I did balloon animals for the kids you know um, it's just there's some days where especially being mandatory like that you knew that there was people there that obviously did not want to be there and questioned everything that you read in a negative way. <clears throat> and we just, you just got to go through that and keep reading. Yeah. And yeah, there was a lot of not so good days. So why um, did you keep going? Oh, well, 
Um, it just takes one, you know? And then there was a lot of stories there of people who have nothing, lost everything. Uh, no job, no car, no money, no house. But the, the love that they had for Jesus that they would talk about in some of the classes, it just blows your mind. And it's like, that's what drew me in, kept on bringing me back. And just to know that just God's sending me here for a reason. And it may not be a whole group. It may just be one person, like my buddy Daniel. That's it. One of the things, a couple of things you just said that I, I hope that we can draw out is one, um, JP represents so much of like what, what we're trying to be as a church family and, so, and represents many of you that are doing similar things. But I love um, you know, the, the love of people so much that you're willing to give up your day off, willing to give up time after work, like that precious time to just go and, and be with people who are in that situation because God loves them and, and you want them to know that. Um, and then I love, by the way, I love the versatility of can lead somebody to Christ, and you make balloon animals for kids. Like, I, there's something in that, guys, like, of, of being ready, always being prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in you, being faithful to serve in whatever capacity. Sometimes we get in the situation where you could have people here that would say, you know what, I'm just the guy that makes balloon animals. I mean, I don't know too many people actually make balloon animals, um, and yours are pretty good, but, um, but just that service thing, like, hey, I'm the guy that will serve, but don't ask me to talk about Jesus. Um, and then we have other people who say, like, look, I want to I go in there and I want to share the gospel, but I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not really into the, the serving and doing those kinds of things. But we're called to be both. We're called to, to do whatever God would call us to in the moment. And so I just want you to know what an encouragement you are um, to me and um, how you, you rebuked me without even knowing it when you just said, well, I'm just going to show up and start reading the Bible and see what happens. I'm like, that's a good idea. I think you should, uh, maybe you should do that. And... Um, I mean, incredible things happen. So thank you for, for serving him faithfully. All right. Yeah, you can go ahead and... Well, stay. Hold on. Until I dismiss. Um, all right, if you are a child up through grade six and you would like, you can go back through those doors to Faith Kids. You know, it's actually, it's actually fitting to do a, a sermon like this as we've been talking about this idea of like how how do we make disciples who make disciples like what does that actually look like we talk about it all the time but our hope in this series was to give you something tangible something that that you could use some kind of um, handrails to kind of hold on to and and to and to pray through and think through things for you to be able to share with other people, but also things that would grow and take root in you. In many ways, we're, we're kind of tearing down to these foundations and make sure that the foundation of our faith is strong. And so we've talked about our identity of who we are called to be, that we, that we belong to God, that we are to be with Jesus, that we are to become like Jesus. And then we talked um, about how the, the kingdom, like what this mission that we're actually given, that we're not just given an identity, but we're given a purpose and a mission to live out here on earth. And we talked about how um, we are to go about that last week. When we talked about the methods of the kingdom, that we are kingdom people. 
But the question always comes up with those of us, that if you've been doing this for any time at all, that there, there'll be high highs where you just say, oh, look at what God is doing. This is so incredible. And then there will be low lows and you'll wonder like, what in the world is going on? And, and the question is, how, how do we know that this stuff is actually happening? Like we don't get, we don't get regular performance reviews. We don't how do we measure success? How do we know that we're on track? How do we know that what we are doing is actually investing in this treasure that will last, that is, that is bearing good and lasting fruit? How do we know that? I mean, in the world, they teach you that it's, it's important to have measurable goals. How many of you at your workplace have like measurable goals, like smart goals and like quotas and things that you have to write? So um, most, of, most of you do. Because we know that, that if you don't have a goal, if you don't have something to measure, then you don't really know if you're, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But there are some areas, there are some areas that are easy to measure. Like I know I'm supposed to produce so many of this thing, or I'm supposed to see this many people, or I'm supposed to, whatever the case is. But other times we have much harder areas to measure in. And the church is the epitome of that. Measurement in the church, measuring and defining success in the church is very tricky. And it tends to be, like through church history, the way that we function as God's people in this is we tend to fall into one of two ditches. One ditch is we just say, well, look, it's supernatural and spiritual, so you, you can't measure it. Like, how would you even measure it? So, so you just, like, the answer is you just do the best you can, and you just kind of assume that good things are happening, and in the end, um, it'll, it'll, it'll come back, and it'll be good. And so we just kind of do church things. It kind of happens where you just put on events, and you, you hope that it impacts people. And if people say they liked it, then we assume it's good. And if we don't see any kind of long-lasting life change, then we're just, we, we kind of tell ourselves, well, but a, a seed was planted, so I'm, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure, you know, someday God will do something. We do it personally sometimes. We hang out with friends that we've had for a long time, and like maybe you have some non-believing friends, and, and we call it a gospel relationship, even though we never talk about the gospel and it just seems like we, we, we look at these things and we just say, it's just too hard to measure, so I, I'm, just, I'm just not going to at all. It's just too overwhelming, so I just don't want to think about that. But here's the problem. Because we don't think about it, we don't see it. And when we stop seeing it, we stop expecting it. And when we stop expecting it, our faith becomes lifeless and complacent, and lazy. Because after all, nothing, nothing's really going to happen anyway. Nobody's really going to respond. And so we stop, stop inviting people to church, stop talking about Jesus, and kind of go through our lives living as though God doesn't actually work, that that's something for a different time and a different season. You see this all the time. And I would, when I would counsel with churches and um, meet with churches that were dying or struggling, and this is one of the things you'd see, is they just stopped seeing God work, and that became normal. So that's one of those ditches. We just say, well, you can't measure it, so just why bother? Well, the other ditch is the response to that. And we say like, no, no, no. We have to stay motivated. We have to stay driven. We have to know what we're pursuing. 
And so what we do is we, we kind of translate real fruit because you can't, because it's true, like I, I can't see your heart change. I don't know what that actually, you know, looks like on the inside like that. Only God can see that. And so I, I translate that into something I can see. I translate it into something measurable. And then I call that fruit. So I know I can't uh, measure how many lives were, were changed today, but I, but I can measure how many people showed up. We can talk about like, oh, we had, a, we had a good crowd today, or hey, it was a little light today, or hey, the, the conference we put on this year, like it, we had 10% more people came than last year. Last year. And I, I can't measure generosity, but I can measure like how much people are, are giving. I can't, I can't measure like love, but I can measure like how many people like serve or volunteer or do these things. So, so because I can measure those things, then that's what I'm going to focus on. And as we're going to talk about, that's not all bad. I mean, it is true, for example, that new people coming to a church is, is an indicator or a sign of potential life and fruitfulness. But that's the key. It's a, it's a sign, a potential indicator. It's not the actual fruit. So the problem isn't that we look at those tangible indicators. The problem is when we pursue those things and call them fruit. So this is an example that came to my mind, and I mentioned this several times since we've come back inside, but since we've come back inside, there has been an increase of volume of singing. And I know I've mentioned it to several people, and they've mentioned that, yeah, I've noticed that. It's not that we never sang before. It's actually years ago when Lauren and I were here on sabbatical. That was the first thing we noticed about this church was that people, people sang. But it's just like increased, and it's louder. And that is a, that's an indicator of real worship. But it doesn't equate to it. Because we could work really hard toward that end. We could say, all right, we're going to be a singing church. And so Robbie could get up here and function less like a worship leader and, and more like a choir director. And so we could, we could actually work on the parts. We could, we could practice the songs more and sing the same songs like every single week and, and practice them and hold practices during the week. And we could teach you four-part harmonies and we could teach some of you to maybe sing not so loudly. And we could, like, we could do all of these things. And then when someone shows up, they could come in here and they could be like, wow, was that a four-part harmony? Those people sing. But it wouldn't be an indicator of real worship. And by the way, at the same time, that other ditch, people in that other ditch would be like, oh, you could get complacent about the fact if, if we were in a church where nobody sings and say, well, yeah, I know no one sings, but I mean, that doesn't mean that they're not worshiping God inside. Do you see how those ditches just kind of pull at us? Like there's a difference between fruit and an indicator of fruit. New people showing up is an indicator. Baptisms are an indicator. Financial giving is an indicator, but they're not the actual fruit. And when we fall into the ditch of, of measurable goals, then we're actually settling for something less. And the problem shows up here. The problem shows up that whether we meet those goals or not, something bad happens. Because when we meet those goals, tend to think, man, look how awesome we're doing. 
We think we're doing great because we met our budget or we built a new building or we got a lot of people to, to show up and we, we miss out on real fruit as we just are congratulating ourselves because we did these things and we actually grow in self-righteousness and arrogance. We might look at other churches and say, well, you know, we're obviously you know, more fruitful because we have more people that are showing up. And that's obviously a bad road to go down. But the other side is true too. When we don't meet those goals, not as many people showed up as we'd hoped. Our gospel community didn't take off the way that we thought it might. And we fail according to these measurements. And that can lead to discouragement and missing out on what God is doing because we're just looking at the wrong thing. We feel like a a failure even when God is doing incredible things. Like imagine JP sitting up here and telling that story. Imagine if he got to the to homeless shelter and like what's going on is God has made this divine appointment. Like did you catch that? Like, like Dave Ekstrom is ministering to this guy in the jail. And then the day that that guy gets out, he goes to the homeless shelter. And JP unknowingly is the guy that says, all right, I'm going to go and show up and meets him there. Are you kidding me? But if JP got there and he was like, oh man, only one dude showed up. I just thought, I thought there'd be more people. This doesn't feel very effective. I mean, this happens in the church world all the time. Like when I was a church planter back in Colorado, I would be more focused on the people who didn't come than the people who were there. Basically every week. Every week, it was a roll call, not of the people who were there, but it was like, oh, where's this family? Where's this family? Like, I wonder, did they leave? Did they go to a different church? Did they, did they just stop coming? Like, what happened? And you miss out on what God is doing. And some of you are in that spot. Some of you have been faithfully serving. You've been faithfully serving people, faithfully sharing the gospel, being salt and light in your community, and you tell me the stories, and I'm like, this is incredible, and I see discouragement on your face. Looking at the wrong fruit will either create ungodly discouragement or ungodly self-righteousness. Both are ungodly, and neither one of them is God's good pleasure, which is way better than those things. So then what what do we do? How do we then actually measure? Because basically it feels like I just eliminated all the options. Like, okay, well, we're supposed to, we're supposed to be driven and like actually measure something. And like, oh, but don't measure that thing. But then like, if you do measure that thing, don't think about it in this way. And like, I don't, now I'm confused. Let me help. Because we have to ask the question of what are we actually looking for because we don't want to become a church that becomes complacent and just says like oh you know you can't measure it so why produce why why pursue anything anyway and we don't want to be a church that says that finds our identity in measurable results and settles for that what we want to measure is actually simple it's just hard for us to understand and that is is our church characterized by radical kingdom living. Jesus gives us this understanding. If you're going to know, you'll know. And he says you'll know by their fruit. In Matthew 7, where we've been for some time, he says, Beware of false prophets 
who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And Paul talks more about this idea of fruit. When he says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, against such things, there is no law. And so right away we see like this idea that, that Jesus says you actually will know. You'll know false teachers from that and you'll know it by their fruit. Not by how many people they draw in a crowd. Not by how successful they are by worldly standards. Not by how um, holy they convince you that they are. Not by how emphatically they state doctrinal positions. He, will say, he says you'll know it by the fruit that is produced in their life. And these are fruit, this is fruit that flows from a heart that is transformed. It's not a list of character traits to work on. I mean, when Paul talks about this, he's not saying like, okay, so if, if you're going to be Christ-like, the fruit that you need to produce is just try to be more patient, try to be more loving, try to be more kind, like work on these things. That's not what he says. He says that this is the fruit that is produced from a heart that is changed and transformed. And so these are indicators that something real is happening. And the question is, is there, is there growth here? So as we look, as you're discipling someone, as you're considering yourself as a disciple of Jesus, you can look at something like this and say, what's the trajectory here? Are we moving towards these things? Am I increasing in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness? Are we faithfully trusting Jesus in this way? That's what we're looking for. And here's what I know. I know that if, we, if we're seeing growth in these areas, if we're seeing growth like transformation from the inside out, then those other things will come. Like I've never known a church that has grown, at least in this era, in this era of church history, in this culture, I haven't known a church that has collectively grown in, in Christ-likeness and faithfulness and love and is dying. I've seen churches with great staffs die. I've seen churches with great programs die. Churches with great preachers die. Churches with big buildings die. But in all my years of meeting with churches that are dead and dying, you know what you always find? A lack of fruit of the Spirit. They traded faithfulness for self-reliance, traded miracles for measurable goals, and it always ended in less kingdom impact. So to, to be effective, to have lives of kingdom value, we have to buy into the mission and the methods of Jesus, and we have to value the fruit that Jesus tells us to value. We can't put these things on the back burner and say, well, yeah, yeah, no, I know, I, I know that, 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 he is characterized, this person is characterized by just anger and bitterness and, and, um, and a lack of love and kindness and gentleness, but, but he's speaking truth. No, he's not. I want to focus, just 
kind of wrap up here, I want to focus on three of these fruit, things that we can look for in ourselves and others, and those are faithfulness, love, and joy. So we want to measure faithfulness. This idea of being all in and being responsive. Um, Crew, which is a, a parachurch organization, used to be Campus Crusade um, for Christ, um, they, they would always do this, this training and they would tell their people, like when you're looking for potential leaders, when you're looking for people to disciple, when you're looking for people that you might want to raise up as leaders in the ministry, the first thing you should look for is that they are faithful. That's the first thing you look for. And by faithful, I just mean like, look for the students who show up. Look for the people who just say, I'm here. I'm, I'm available. I'm ready. Like, but I, whatever. There's a, there's a saying that's shown up in many different places, and I tried to find the root of the, the quote, and then I gave up because I don't care that much. But the idea that um, 80% of life is just showing up, wherever that comes from, the roots are in Jesus, because the, the disciples who remained with Jesus were the ones who remained with Jesus. Right? Do you hear what I'm saying? Like the disciples that were the ones that got sent out to plant the church and to transform the world were not the smartest. They were not the most gifted. They were not the richest. They were not the most powerful. They were the ones who stayed. They're the ones who remained in Jesus. They're the ones that when Jesus would say wild things, like if you don't, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in the kingdom, and everyone else freaks out, and they all leave, he turns to his disciples and says, hey, so do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's faithfulness. Saying like, well, yeah, that thing you said kind of freaked me out. I'm not really sure what you're doing with that, but you're the only one that we can go to. What will hold you is this belief that Jesus is all. That's faithfulness. Where else would you go? Paul says if if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then we're above all men the most to be pitied. And that's what we're looking for. That's what we want to see. And that's what I want to encourage you to look for as you disciple people. And as you call yourself to be a disciple of Jesus, is don't undervalue faithfulness. Don't undervalue showing up. Don't undervalue the the, the value of JP giving up his day off and the precious time to go to a homeless shelter with people who just got out of prison. Look, That's not going to change the world according to worldly standards, but to go faithfully and say, I'm going to be there, leads someone to change. Their life is changed for eternity because of that. That's what we're looking for. People who are all in, who are faithful, who are ready. Jesus went with the people who responded, period. At one point he says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. These are hard sayings. But we talked about last week when we were talking about the parable of the banquet. Everyone had excuses. 
Notice that nobody's answer here is, you know what, Jesus, I think that's all a bunch of hooey, not interested. The rejection of Jesus sounds like this. Totally believe you're the son of God. I believe completely and fully. I am all in on all of that. I believe all this. Here's my statement of faith. I believe all these things. I do all these things regularly. And Jesus says, well, go do this. Oh, you know, that's not good for me. I do all these other things, though. Can I remind you of that? Remember rich young ruler? Hey, I've done all these things, Jesus. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. He said the rich young ruler walked away. Faithfulness means, Jesus, it's all yours. Whatever you ask me to do. It was your discipling people, one of the ways to know who to spend time with and to invest more in are the people who are faithful, the people who show up, the people who say, yeah, okay, I'm in. One of my mentors um, used to, like when he was in college ministry, he would set the, the um, college men's Bible study at 5.30 a.m., you do it on 5.30 a.m. I think it was on a Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. You're going to find out really quickly which college students that that matters the most to. And then when he went and started a church and he led a men's Bible study, he noticed, well, all these guys have jobs. Like, they don't have a problem getting up that early. So then he set the men's Bible study time to Monday night at like 7.30, which those of you who are football fans would know that that's during Monday night football. Now, I'm not saying like, hey, make it as hard on people as possible. But what I'm saying is the evidence there is saying, look, are you going to show up? Are you going to be here? Are you going to make yourself available time after time after time, trusting that God is working? Are you going to listen to his voice and obey him? And we want to see that. We want to see people respond immediately. And we want to measure that and say, look, look, these are people that just gave up these things. I, I, um, one of those examples that happened was when I mentioned CASA one time in a sermon. I just randomly mentioned this idea of court-appointed special advocates and how the county was in need of them. I didn't even make an appeal to ask. And I had several people just say, I'm in. Where, where do I get more information? How do I sign up? That's faithfulness. If the Lord tells you to do something, you do it. We want to call people, by the way, to that as you're discipling people. Make sure that you're, you're mentioning that and saying and watching for that. The question is always, do you trust Jesus? What is he asking you to do? Do you trust him? Or do you have other things that you think are also of equal value to listen to and things that you got to weigh out? Jesus is looking for people who are all in. That's faithfulness. Then there's love. And Jesus says... Again, as far as measurement goes, he's pretty clear. In John 13, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And this love for one another, when he talks about one another, this is both talking about inward type love that we'd say for our brothers and sisters and love that is aimed outward. 
We've mentioned this many times, but the, the love of the early church was what made them stand out. And they were being persecuted, they were being driven out, they were being minimalized, they were trying anything that they could do. They were, they were ignored, they were persecuted, they were like, the government tried to do everything they could possibly do. But the thing that kept rising to the top was their love for one another. And, and in fact, in an attempt to slow down the growth of this new, this faith of the following of this Jesus, a Roman leader created a, a pagan religion that mimicked this love for others and care for the poor. So he said, look, this, this stuff that's growing out here, that's just happening, like we, we don't want that. We don't want them following in Jesus. We want them to understand that like the, the government is king that Caesar is king. And so what we're going to do is we're going to create a pagan religion that is going to mimic all this stuff. We're going to do all the things that they're doing. It doesn't work. It didn't work then. It doesn't work now. The love that these people had, it wasn't just defined by words and it wasn't just contained in action. It was a demonstrated love, a love that had so overwhelmed their heart and transformed their heart that it flowed out to everybody around them. And so they gave radically to meet one another's needs, and they served one another, and they sacrificed for one another. And so that's one of the things that we want to see when we're discipling people, is do you see them growing in love for one another? It's manifested in this radical service of one another. And this, you talk about those measurable goals. So one of the things that we tend to do then is we say, okay, love is action. And so it means service. So as long as we're serving them, we're good. But a lot of times in the church, we end up serving kind of like we serve in other volunteer organizations. And so all of a sudden, volunteering in the church, um, like volunteering in the children's ministry, is a lot like signing up for manning the concession stand at a baseball tournament. It's like one of those things you're like, okay, I know it's important. I know somebody should do it. Like, I guess I should chip in and do that. That's not the same thing as being so transformed by this love of Jesus that you're saying, okay, I've been transformed by this and I want to express this to anybody and especially the kids. Like Jesus talked about letting the little children come to him. And so do I, I get an opportunity to go and show them the love that's been given to me? Yes, please. I want to be first in line. And this is where we talk about this, this kind of selfless love and that's demonstrated this way. And I never have, um, I, I never have people saying like, no, 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 I don't think the church should, should be like that for me. It's usually like where we say, we, we'll talk about like, yeah, the church is supposed to be loving. They're supposed to be unconditional in their love and support. And that means like they should be giving that to me. And it reminds me of what happens a lot in, in marriage counseling. Whenever I do pre-marriage counseling, I always tell people about this idea of mutual service and mutual submission. And I just say to them, you know, that often marriage problems down the road come when, when they're having difficulties and they come to me, it's, it's always about like what I'm not getting. And this idea of like, well, yeah, doesn't the Bible say that, this, that my spouse is supposed to serve me and supposed to like submit and is supposed to love me in this way? And like, doesn't the Bible call to, to do that? And, and I want to say, well, yes, but, but you've got it backwards. Right. You got hang in there. You got it backwards. See, this, this idea is you're supposed to love them that way. And when you have a young couple, when I try to start them out and say, if you spend your time considering how you are serving the other one, 
then you'll never have to worry about your needs being met. If you're both doing that, if you both are saying, like, I want to serve you, I want to love you, I want to support you, I wanna, then you will never have to worry about your own needs being met. But the second that you start focusing and saying, well, I'm doing all this for you and I'm not getting this back, now all of a sudden I start to withdraw. And as I withdraw, withdraw and become more focused on myself, guess what happens to my spouse? Well, now all of a sudden their needs aren't being met anymore. They're not being served or loved in that way. And so they start thinking like, well, yeah, I'm not getting this. The church works the same. Church is just a big family. The early church did not worry about whether or not they were being served. They didn't worry about like, well, if I give all this, are they going to be there for me when I'm there? They just were focused on, they have a need, I'll give. They have a need, I'll serve. And they just did it because they were too preoccupied with loving and serving others. And you can't manufacture that. If it comes out of love, then you will just give and you will give and you will give. Because regardless of whether that person pays you back, guess who will? Jesus, 10 times, 100 times in this life and in the life to come. You don't give up anything. Now, I just want our church to be like that. I mean, we've shown so many examples of that inwardly. The people should walk in here. When they walk in here, I want them to sense a great love for one another. Meals brought to one another with great love, moving people with great love. And not only inward, but then that it would spill outward. That it should be outward and be evident inside the church family and then out to the world. Like, are we growing in a Christ-like love for others? And I'll show you, I'll tell you one area where that shows up and that we've got to be mindful of and watching of to see, are we bearing good fruit? It shows up in compassion for the world. Jesus says, Matthew says that, that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, who looks upon the world that is broken, that the sin of these people has caused all the fracturing, all the pain in the world, these people who have rebelled against his right authority and rule, and these people that he knows will murder him, he looks upon them with compassion. Why? Because he sees them not as people who are, really know what they're doing, but people who are harassed and helpless. They are confused. They are lost. They are wandering, just like you and me before Jesus opened our eyes and saved us. Not by any work of our own, but by him. And look what this is paired together. So when you're looking at compassion, like do you, if you notice in yourself that, that you're growing in love, that will mean that you're growing in compassion for people, especially the people that you disagree with, especially the people who most differ with you on views of the world. Are you growing in compassion or are you growing in judgment and disdain and frustration? Or do you see them and say like, oh, Lord Jesus, open their eyes. Like I was that, like open their eyes, like you opened my eyes. You did it for me, you can do it for them. And I'm not making this up of it being paired together because the very next verse was then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Look what's happening here. Jesus is looking out of the crowds, and he sees his children who are lost and confused and hurting. And so he has compassion on them. And then he tells his disciples, look, the fields, they're ready, they're full. Go. And I'm just... 
It just breaks my heart when I think about how we can look at the people and look at the people that Jesus has created and then he says, those are my children. And we say, yeah, but they vote the wrong way. Yeah, but they're ruining my country. Those are his children. They're you. If we would be motivated by love and compassion, we would see that the harvest is plentiful. And we would be faithful in just showing up and saying, I know that this system is broken, but I'm going to show up in it. I'm going to be a kingdom person in it. I'm going to declare and demonstrate the kingdom of God. I'm going to be consumed by that. I'm going to grow in that love. And guess what? If you do that, if you're faithfully showing up and love is pouring out of you, guess what's going to increase? Joy. So one of the ways you can tell when our works are motivated by faithfulness to Jesus and love from him and for one another is our joy. And this is a big one. It's a big one because it's so countercultural here. Like when we do missions training for people, one of the things we say is, okay, well, how does the gospel kind of line up in this culture? And what are the pain points? What are the things that the gospel is going to hit against? And one of them here is joy. See, faithfulness can be faked to some degree in a culture that values showing up. Love can be faked to a certain degree by when serving from different motives when we value serving. But joy is a little harder. And it is key. It's the characteristic that really separates. Because real joy comes from being exactly where you want to be. Doing exactly what you want to be doing. So like, look, if you, if you show up, but you'd really rather be somewhere else, there won't be joy. If you serve out of, out of duty rather than out of love, there won't be joy. And notice there's not neutral fruit. When Jesus and, and Paul both talk about fruit, it's good fruit and bad fruit. There's not like neutral fruit. You're either growing in joy or you're growing in bitterness and pessimism. And I just want to encourage you, if you see that fruit in your own heart, the fruit of, of bitterness and anger, then something is wrong. If you find yourself getting more anxious, more afraid, more bitter, more angry, then I would say repent and turn to him and say, Lord, I don't want to settle for this. I want real fruit. And when we hear this and we say like, okay, no, I know we, we need to be joyful, like that we should be pursuing joy, then that causes us to fall into one of two ditches. One is we put on a fake happy face. Any of you have ever, ever gone through that phase? Yeah? Okay, you hear like, I'm supposed to be joyful as a Christian. I hate my life, but I'm going to smile at church. And pretending everything is fine is not the answer. That's not real fruit, and we know that. But then we go in the other ditch. We say, well then, and we kind of worship this idea of authenticity. And then we think that we're somehow holier because of how miserable we are. And we think we get extra brownie points. Like, I served, and it was miserable for me, so I get extra credit. Because I really didn't want to do it. That's not how it works. And we can be guilty of that where we just say like, no, 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 we're being authentic and like how hard things are and how miserable we are. But that's actually painting a false picture of the kingdom. 
that somehow this kingdom is something that one day will be joyful, but right now we just kind of got to grin and bear it and white knuckle our way through. That's not what Jesus said. He said he spoke these things to you that his joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If you are a disciple of Jesus, then your joy will be ever increasing. We pursue it in Christ. It comes in abiding Jesus. Abiding in Jesus. Because what else could you call it? Like, if you go and you show up and you see God work and you're motivated and you're overcome by his love for you and you see that flow out to others and you start seeing lives change and you're seeing him work and knowing that you are known and you are loved and you are chosen and you have been made new and given a new identity and given a new purpose and a new mission and your sins are forgiven and that you have this great high priest who understands you and has walked with you and has suffered for you and has lived for you and that he is able to sympathize with you and through him you have access to this father who created everything and that he is transforming and making everything new and rather than kicking you out because of our rebellion he invites us in and adopts us as sons and daughters and heirs of the kingdom and partakers in everything that he is doing to make everything new I mean what more could we want what more could we need this is joy Every interaction is an, was an opportunity to demonstrate and declare the kingdom, to talk about our Jesus. And that should just stir our hearts with joy. And all the stuff that the world says, well, yeah, but what about this? And what about this? What about this? Like, what? I count it all loss. We want to be a joyful church. And that is a powerful witness. There's a powerful witness here. And we'll sing that, we'll see it in different ways. And how we greet one another. How we hear stories from one another. How we expectantly want to hear about fruit that is in, going on in other people's lives. How we can rejoice with each other. It also happens when we weep with one another. And we grieve with one another. Those things aren't the opposite of joy. Bitterness and anxiousness and worry. Those are the opposite of joy. I just want, to be, I want us to be a people of joy and call one another to joy and remind us of all the things that Jesus has done and, and that will spur out in our singing and our rejoicing together. And so that's what we want. And I know those things are happening. We need, we need to hear those stories. This is what I'm just, we're calling people to just say, just trust him and go and be available, be faithful let the love of Christ rule and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Love people the way that you have been loved and have joy in what he is doing. I have been overwhelmed in the last few weeks of some of the stories that have been going on. We have, have a person that called me and said, I, like, I connected with a friend that I haven't seen in forever. I just felt like God was telling me to do that. And then I went and, and started telling me about her life. And I just realized, like, I have this opportunity to share the gospel in that. Like, I, I feel a little overwhelmed by it, but I also am seeing how God is working in it. We've had people who have walked alongside others in this church family and have showed unimaginable love and patience through addictions and through other vices where they have just said, I am here and I'm not going anywhere. We've seen things of a, a consistent invitation that is finally received. A prayer ministry that's been revived. A friend who responds to an invitation from work that, that their, and then their life has been changed by Christ. 
Those stories are what we're rejoicing in those together is what we need. So would you help us? Tell us your story. We created a, a link on our website. It should be up there at the top, I hope. I didn't check it because I'm not that, I'm not responsible. But I, I, I'm, I'm trusting it's there. There's a link um, where you can click on that and tell us stories. It may seem small to you. Don't listen to that. It's not small. Small things become big things, remember? So tell the story. You can, you can type it out and send it to us, or you, there's also a phone number and a, an extension that you can leave it on voicemail. You can email us. You can tell us whatever, but we want to hear those stories of faithfulness and love for others and joy. If we want to be known for something, let it be these things. Let these be the things that we measure. A radical obedience to Jesus. A radical faithfulness to him. A radical love for one another on display for the world and the backbone of our gospel message. And a radical, contagious joy that we get to be a part of any of this. As we respond and as the worship team comes up, let us sing in response to this joy that has been given to us by our Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, you are with us and you are for us. And it makes no sense because we were rebels against your kingdom. Not a single one of us in this room chose you of our own desires. You had to give us new desires. You opened our eyes. You looked upon us and reached down into the miry pit and you rescued us. And you gave us new life. And you gave us new purpose. Let us be faithful. And when we fall, Lord, we know you will pick us up. And when we turn away, we know that you will call us back. God, help us to grow in this Christ-like fruit. Help us to be consumed by this love that you have had for us and that it would be, that it would flow out into our love for others, that as you have loved us undeservedly, that we would love others without any need of being paid back. And that we would respond in joy to all that you are doing. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.